Well, in the spirit of Malachi, if you're a Phillies fan, you uh, relate to the fact that for the last 11 years, we've been promised glory, and we have got nothing but drought. We had to live by faith and not by sight, but last night, the Phillies are now in red October. We can rejoice as those Philadelphia fans, the promises come true. Will they restore glory? Amen? I know, I know. A little crazy, but, you know, Philadelphia fans, we don't have much to celebrate, so this is a good thing. But thinking about Malachi, if you're new with us, we're in the book of Malachi, and um, it's, uh, it's a book that really... Um, is a love letter, a love letter to people who have been wandering and a people who, having seen that the temple was, after exile, the temple was built and the walls were rebuilt and there seemed to be this time through the promises of Haggai and Zechariah that there was going to be a time of res restoration of the kingdom and a time of glory. And, but what they've seen for almost 100 years is that they're still ruled by a foreign power. They've been experiencing drought, uh, poverty. Economically, there's nothing going on. And there's a deep sense of what's going on. There's a deep sense of apathy, as we've been learning over the last number of weeks. The people have been moving away from God, not towards God. Uh, they have been rebelling. Uh, there has been uh, shallow worship, self-serving attitudes. There's been uh, sinfulness in the community. People have been complaining to one another uh, about who God is. And uh, there's, as we saw even last week, the men were basically going out and marrying foreign women so that they could have influence. And they were divorce, divorcing the wives of their youth. And in that, they were committing adultery before God. And we see all this happening. But yet in the midst of it, God is still there. God is still answering them. God is still responding to them. He's basically saying, I'm still the God of covenant love. I'm still with you. The promises are still true. And this week, what we're looking at is that the people going through all this are longing for justice. They're longing for justice in their world, in their lives, and what they're seeing. If, I, if you put that picture up there, this would be, would be good. Could you put that picture up, please? Do we have, there it is. So does everybody know who that is? Yes? Lady Justice? When that goes up, what do you think? What comes to your mind? If we think about our lives, if we think about our culture, um, do we have a spirit in us that we complain about things not being just? Things in our lives should be going better. Things in our world should be going better. And we can complain about that, right? We can talk about that. And we can talk to one another about that. And there's, there's ways to complain. And I think that's what we're going to see in the text today is that there's ways that we complain. One is we complain to someone about the situation. Michael was praying about the violence in the city. That's been on my heart for months, praying about that, praying to God about the violence in the city. And so we can go to the mayor and we can complain to the mayor, to the mayor about the situation. 
Or we could go to the police chief and we could complain to the police chief about the situation and we're complaining to them, asking them to do something. Or we can complain about someone regarding the situation, which is radically different. We can complain amongst one another and say, I can't believe this mayor, he's doing nothing. He's a loser. He basically is doing nothing. I can't believe this police chief. Like there's something wrong. They're not doing their job. They don't know how to deal with this violence in the city. And we're complaining about that person regarding the situation. And we can do the same with God. We can complain to God about things that are going on, and that's called prayer, and it's in the Psalms. Or we can complain about God to one another, how he's unfair and unjust and not doing things. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in Malachi. So I'm going to read from chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 6. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, and then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. The word of God for today. I'm going to break it down now. This is, uh, there's a lot going on in this uh, passage, and uh, so I'm going to break it down into segments so we can really see uh, what's going on here. So the first verse I'm going to read is verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them, or where is the God of justice? Now, the one thing we know, if we read Scripture and we know God's character, God is always open to hear our prayers. We see that in the Psalms. God doesn't mind if we complain to him. God doesn't mind if we bring our anger to him uh, because we're bringing it to him and we're asking for his help. We're asking for him to help or give us wisdom in these situations. So why did their complaints weary God? Well, what they were doing was failing to take their complaints to God, and it led to complaining about God to one another. See that statement where it says, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them? That's an attack on God's character. He doesn't keep his promises. 
He allows evil to flourish while those under the covenant blessings are struggling. What happened to the promises? As a result, they were depressed and discouraged because it seemed like the wicked prosper, and that filled them with doubt and unbelief. And this leads to them to then ask God, where is the God of justice? And what was happening was they were comparing themselves with others and thought it was unjust of God to bless others and not them. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly have been there. Have you ever been there? Have you ever compared your situation to other people and what was going on in my heart? What was going on in my heart was I was saying, God, why, why not me? Like, what's going on? How come we can't have a little blessing here? It seems like in our family, you know, all kinds of stuff's going on and other people are flourishing out there. Even those who don't know you, Lord, they seem to be doing better than all of us. And we can have this complaining heart and we can talk to one another like that. We can, we can basically move each other in that direction and that's what was going on. And this kind of ignorant, unbelieving talk from God's people, that's what's wearisome to God. That's what's wearisome to God because it shows the resistance in his people's hearts to his truth and his work. The people were relying on their own observations and not God's truth and promises that he revealed to them through his word. And this type of mindset assumes that God should serve us. God needs to serve us. He should meet our expectations and our timetable. Is anybody like that? He should meet my expectations and my timetable because God should be serving me. I'm his child. He should be serving me. And there's an attitude there that pretty much says to God, listen, now you're serving me, so you need to be at work here. And you can see where that would make your heart a heart that just grumbles and complains. If that's the attitude in my heart, the attitude of the people talking to one another like that. And we need to be careful because I don't think we're any different than the people in Malachi's day. I think our hearts are the same. And are we wearisome to God in the way that we act? That's a good question to ask ourselves. How are you talking? How are we talking with one another? Are we complaining about God? Are we complaining about our situations in such a way that we're accusing God of not doing what he should be doing? We're coming against this character. And here's the truth. The truth is that God delays his judgment and his justice because of his mercy. And this is a truth that we see again and again throughout the word of God. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Slow to anger. He's slow to bring judgment. He wants people to come. He wants that love going out to thousands. He wants people to repent. He wants them to come back. He wants to bring them back in to belong to him. And so he extends, he is patient, and he brings mercy along with that. That's the God that we have. And so when we, we struggle with justice and seeing things that are going on, we need to know that God is still at work. 
this truth is what begins to move through what he's going to say now. This, this God who is patient, this God who is slow to anger, he's going to respond to the accusations that the people are making in their complaints about him. And he does it now, and we're going to look at the response. There's the three ways that we're going to be looking at it. And the first one is we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what he says. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. That word I there, it's, it's, it's a little misleading because it really is behold. Behold, I will send the messenger. Behold means I am here. I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't left the building and all that's going on. I'm still here. I'm still in it with you. And so you can know that I am. I'm going to now tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to send a messenger that's going to prepare the way for the messenger who is the messenger of the covenant. And so when you begin looking at this, if you know scripture in any way, the idea of this messenger in preparation is, is this idea that the kings would have a parade going before them when they would enter into cities. And in front of that procession was the messenger who went before the king to announce his arrival and to remove any obstacles on the road to where the king comes. And so what we see here, if we know our scripture or if we understand that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, fulfilled this exact ministry. So who he's talking about here is John the Baptist. Mark 1, 2, and 3, here's what it says. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Basically, the fulfillment of this and Isaiah 40 is John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness a message of repentance and baptism, basically preparing the way, saying your hearts need to be prepared for the messenger of the covenant, the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus. You need to bring your hearts, you need to repent of your rebellion and your sins and your apathy and your willfulness. You need to come and bring it before the Lord and be washed in the water to be made new for the king and mediator of the new covenant who is coming. And God is prophesying that this is what's going to happen. And this is God's answer to the complaint of the people. He's saying, I will set things right in sending one who will prepare the way and the Messiah, Messiah who will both be the refiner and the one who will bring swift justice. And that's where he's going with. He will be the refiner and the one who brings swift justice. And like most Old Testament prophets, Malachi in his picture of the coming Christ mingles the two advents. He mingles the idea of Jesus coming in the flesh and Jesus coming again as the king who will judge. And then we're going to see that uh, as, as we move forward in this. And I think this part here to me is one that really encouraged my heart this week. 
Verses 2 through 4, listen to this. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by as in former years. See, the people of Israel want God to bring justice. And I would think sometimes a lot of us who are here, we want to see God bring justice. But here's the thing. God turns that question around and he says, I can bring justice, but are you ready for my justice? Are you ready for my justice? Is your heart ready to stand before my justice? I was reading a number of commentaries, and there's one that Ian Duguid and Matthew Harmon do, and there was an illustration in it that I thought, wow, this is applicable, applicable uh, certainly to me as I think about it, but I think for all of us. Have you ever been driving down the road, and all of a sudden sirens go on behind you and lights go on? And, uh, you know, if... If I'm not doing anything wrong, if I'm not speeding or I haven't done anything wrong, I might be startled, but then that's okay, right? The cop's going to go by me or whatever's going to happen. But if I've been speeding, what happens? I know it's going to be me, right? I'm going to get another speeding ticket. I don't get any, but yeah. I have them from all over the world, but my, my wife will tell you about that. But the idea is, is that all of a sudden, the heart's going like that, and you know you've been guilty. You know you're guilty. You know you broke the law. And, and this is what God is saying. He says, are you ready when I come? Because you've broken the law, because you've rebelled, because your hearts are not right. So you're thinking about justice for everybody else, but how about you? What's going on in your heart? And here's the beauty of it. He says, when this Jesus, the mediator of the covenant comes, he's going to be like a refiner's fire. I think maybe some people used to preach this as fire and brimstone, but that is not the meaning of a refiner's fire. If you understand a refiner's fire, a refiner's fire is to take metal and to melt it so that the impurities in that metal are brought up to the top and wiped away so that that metal could be pure. And this is the picture that we have here, is that Jesus, in coming, came into the world. He actually illustrated what that metal would be like by revealing the character of God on earth and the way he walked on the earth. But even more than that, when Jesus went to the cross, when the mediator of the new covenant poured out his blood and became the sacrifice that would be accepted for all eternity so that the sins would be forgiven and people would be reconciled to God, he opened the door for something absolutely amazing, is that anybody who believes in Jesus now has the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ himself, who has come into them to do what? To be a refiner's fire. You see the beauty of this? What is going on? 
in all of us is that our hearts are not ready for justice if God was truly going to do it, but now he's preparing us for that day through Jesus Christ. We know that certainly we are seen through Christ and reconciled through Christ, but more than that, our character, who we are, we are being transformed by the refiner's fire. The Holy Spirit is in us, is doing what? He's taking all the hard circumstances, the things that Michael prayed for and Josh prayed for today, the hard things, things that are happening in our lives and the lives of other people where we don't see justice, where we see hardship, where we see grief, where we see unjust things being done to people. All of this, whether it's being done to us or around the world, God is using this to refine us, that our hearts are coming to God and all the things in us which are impure, all the ways that we act towards other people, we begin to see those things and the ugliness of those things that we see in others, we see them in ourselves. And God begins to work deeply in us to transform us. Listen to what it says. Josh read this, and as he said, I was going to read it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Why? These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Hallelujah! This is what God is doing even in the hardest things in our lives. God is using them to shape us and to mold us to be more like Jesus. And there's a lot of times when that is a struggle, but what the Spirit does is even in the midst of that, He begins to work some deep truths. He begins to say, can you trust that? in such a way that you know that I'm in this with you. And that was hard. That loss was hard. That grief is hard. Those circumstances, they're unfair. But I'm with you in this. I've proven it by sending Jesus, the refiner, and I'm working in you because what I'm doing in you is something amazing. I am preparing you for heaven. I am preparing you for the new heavens and the new earth. I am preparing you from age to age to do things you can't even know at this point because it's a mystery that will be revealed. That's how much I love you in the midst of this brokenness, I am refining you. What an encouragement to my soul as I thought about that. And it did bring up hard things in my life. But I brought those hard things up 
and in the refiner's fire, he reveals to me that he is not left. He is in it with me. His promises are true. And there is an inheritance and there is a glory that far outweighs them all. And as I do that, I'm teaching you to be able to empathize with people, to step into people's pain, to step into their hardship, and to bring with you my promises and my love and my hope and my care and my concern for them. This is powerful. This is powerful. And I love what Spurgeon says in his quote, the sitting posture shows that the refiner may seem indifferent, but he is not. He is carefully working with the silver, burning off and scraping away the dross and the flames Bring to the top, I think I see in the sitting down of the refiner a settled patience, as if he seemed to say, this is stern work, and I will sit down to it, for it will need care and time and constant watchfulness. Wow. This is what the God of the universe is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. You are worth so much to me that I am willing to patiently spend time and constantly care and watchfulness as you are being transformed for glory. This is so powerful. How amazing is the refiner's fire. Be encouraged by this this morning. Be encouraged that this is who Jesus is. And yes, then we move. And he says, yes, there will be justice. Verse 5, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against the sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And certainly this is a picture of the second coming, of him coming as the king and the judge. And as we know, it will be sudden. In the twinkling of an eye, he will appear. And there will be no more time at that point to repent. There will be no more time to come under the refiner's fire. That opportunity will have been lost. And for all those practicing and all those sins that he's talking about are all sins that we ourselves know have been a part of our lives and are a part of our lives. Think about that for a second. You're standing with Christ when he comes again. But for all of those who have not come, swift judgment will come. Listen to what it says in Revelation 22, verses 14 to 17. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Even to the very end, what is Jesus doing? Offering, saying, listen, here's where your hearts are. You need to come. Is your soul thirsty? 
Come to Jesus. Don't be God of your own life. Don't step out in rebellion in the ways that basically the people we saw here were beginning to move toward or where our hearts are. And I love the fact that even in the midst of saying, yes, I will come with swift judgment, that is a reality. And there will be people who will face that judgment without Jesus. Here's what he says to us in verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Hallelujah. He's referring back to chapter 1 where he says, I have loved you, Jacob. Present participle, I have, which means I have and continue to love you, Jacob. And now there is the new Jacob, the new Israel in Jesus Christ, in the new covenant, for us who are here, we are that Jacob. And guess what? His love for us does not change. And we will not face the destruction of the judgment because we are under the covenantal love of God through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a promise that he who started this work is going to complete it that we are now children of God who can cry out, Abba, Father, that we now know that our future is secure. We now know that he is working in us to make us more like Jesus so that we will walk with him from age to age, from glory to glory, from strength to strength. Hallelujah. His covenantal love is our anchor. It's our anchor. Nothing can separate us, as it says in Romans 8, from the love of God. Nothing. Death, destruction, all the things you can think about, nothing can separate us from this love. Therefore, therefore, we will walk with him forever. This is just blows me away when I think about this. This is the anchor. He is our refuge and our strength, as it tells us in the Psalms. He's our tower. He's the lover of our souls. This is who he is. And because of that, when judgment comes, we will not face the judgment, but we will stand there with Jesus as those who have been refined by fire, ready to walk into the new age. This is the amazing promise of God. This is what he's saying to the people in Malachi's times. This is what he's saying to us. And he's saying, this is where my justice goes. And I, I love uh, this quote by Baldwin. The beauty of this picture is that the refiner looks into the open furnace or pot and knows that the process of purifying is complete and the dross all burned away when he can see his image plainly reflected in the molten metal. What does Jesus see in us? He sees himself. It says that when he appears, we will be like him. That's what he's doing. 
Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that he's making us like him. The refiner himself will see his image in us. This is great news. We are being transformed ever increasingly to be like Jesus. Now here's the thing. It's a wonderful gift that God is doing. But God is a patient God, and he's doing this in us, not just for us. We're part of a much larger story. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Listen, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and the speed of its coming. We ought to live holy and godly lives. Why? So we can feel good about ourselves? No. So people can actually see justice on display through the actions of God's people who are being refined to be like Jesus. Think about that for a second. When you think about a thousand years is like a day, then you think 2,000 years, it's only been two days in God's timing. That's not that long. That's not that long at all. In God's timing, what's a week going to look like? 7,000 years? Why? Because he wants more and more people to be in the kingdom because he wants the gospel message to get out. He wants your family members. He wants your neighbors. He wants the kids you guys are in school with. He wants the people that you are working with. He wants them to know him and to come to him. And we are the people. We are the instruments who are being refined that he uses with the work of the Holy Spirit. This is powerful. I think about our teenagers this June when they went out and you guys did all that work. You were stepping into justice and mercy. Everything that you were doing, you were stepping into justice and mercy. And you were revealing God's love in the midst of that as you guys did that. And when people saw that, they were impacted by that. Why would they do something like this? Because God is at work in them. Because they're becoming more like Jesus and they're reflecting the character of God and God's justice and the things that they're doing is they love and care, people are being attracted to the king and his glory. Hallelujah, teenagers, don't ever stop doing it. It's different in school, but there are people there that need to be loved. Think about our lives. Think about the people that you step into. How are you talking with them? Are you complaining right along with them? 
And in doing that, am I actually attacking the character of God and don't even know it? Or am I saying to them, you know what? How can I pray for you? Begin praying for them and then come back to them and say, how are things going in your life? You are extending mercy. You are revealing the character of God. And you don't know what that's going to lead to. Stepping into other things. Listen, we are now part of a liberty communion of churches. We are part of small things. Small things is stepping into the city where there is so much need for people to just have food. And we have opportunity to pack and to step out and do that. But more than that, we're now getting ready to expand, to begin doing community centers in the city. Just this week, we went down to Verity Church at Diamond Street and looking at this old building that they have and thinking about what would it be like if we had a free grocery store in there? We had Votech training in there. We had an opportunity for people to come in for prayer. What would these things look like in the middle of an area where there's just so many hard things happening? And looking at not doing one, but maybe doing ten in the city. We can be a part of that. Are we willing to put our time into that? Are we willing to pray about that? These are the things that God is talking about. Because as he refines us, this is what he puts on our hearts. We have missionaries who are out on the field. Certainly we pray for them. But who might here might be called to go out with Mick and Kathy in Eswatini? Who here might be the spirits coming alongside them and saying... You need to move out with the gospel. Are we hearing as the refiner works in us these things? I think it's in such a joy and encouragement that God gives us the ability. I think about myself. I'm this, I'm this kid from the inner city. I'm this kid who truly should be dead by now or in prison. And God took me out of the pit. He showed me himself. He brought me to himself, and he's been refining me ever since. And so what has God done in my life? I've been able to do things I never would have been able to do in and of myself. I've been able to extend mercy in places like Africa and other areas of the world. I've been able to go into the inner city and partner with brothers and sisters there and see the gospel on display. I've been able to see schools raised up. I've been able to see different ministries go forward. I that's because God's in my life. That's not because of me. It's because the Holy Spirit is working in me. The refiner is working in me. And he, he pushes me out by God's grace. Hallelujah. We're part of something so much bigger. Let's get on board. He's refining us for things that we can't even ask or imagine. Let's get excited about that. The church needs in this day to stand up. We need to have courage, brothers and sisters, and it comes as we're with the refiner, as he moves and shapes us, as we step out together, as we bring our hearts to God. Uh, we're delivered from that complaining spirit. Let God do this in our lives. We are loved to the uttermost. He is with us and will never leave us. And he has something so much more glorious for us. Think about that. Each one of our lives with Christ has the ability to impact the eternal destiny of every person we come in contact with. Think about that for a second. Is there any greater purpose that we could have in the world? This is what the refiner does as he works in and through us and his church.
May God work in us this truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the, it's just amazing to me, Lord, who you are and how you treat us in the midst of our complaining and our rebellion. And, and Lord, the way that we see things through our eyes without you and your truth and your promises. But thank you, Lord, that you continue to call us your own, to bring us in, to show us, Lord, that we have not been left, that we are no, not orphans, but we are your children, purchased by the blood of Christ, loved to the uttermost. We have an anchor in Christ. We have covenantal love covering us, and we have the Holy Spirit in us to refine us and shape us to be like Jesus Christ himself, that we might bring the character of heaven to earth. Lord, may that happen in our lives. Help us to respond to your truth. Help us to step out when the Spirit moves us, Lord God, I pray. Help us to be people of courage and love and compassion and mercy and justice. Would you do that, Lord, both in our lives, in our families, in Bridge, in your church, across the city and across the states and the world, Lord God. Do these things for your purposes and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.